0: Crime World with me, Nicola Talent, is coming to your town with live shows across the country. We're taking to the road with promoter MCD. We'll be in Dolan's of Limerick on May 3rd and in Belfast Slimelight on May 17th. Then it's on to Cork at Cypress Avenue on May 18th and finally Galway, where we will perform at Monroe's on May 19th. For tickets, check venue websites. Omerta. The sacred, secret code of the underworld. But what happens to those who break it?
1: Look, I mean, I don't think you could pick out uh, ten people that are really trusted by the Ginhans left in Ireland. No matter what investigation goes on into the, the, how the Regency trial went, you know, in political or in Garda circles, we're never going to know. The more the, the situation goes on there's just more sort of bizarre aspects to the whole thing isn't there I'm Nicola
0: Talent and you're listening to Crime World a podcast about criminals drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe a 1 million euro bounty on the head of Jerry the Monk Hutch a down payment given to a terrorist to entice him to carry out the job and a viper's nest of dissident Republicans identified in the aftermath of the Regency trial. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the fallout from the trial of the century, about the monks not guilty verdict, and about the MI5 spy who may have blown the whistle on his secret meetings in the North. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Macken was always a sinister character. Ever before, we heard that he took a down payment of a hundred thousand euro to kill the monk, and he was going to get ten times that. No, is that right? What's a million? Well, yeah, nine
1: times. Ta- yeah, ten times. Ten times. times. Ten times. A hundred thousand is a million.
0: Okay, if he had of
1: managed to get nine to times, but
0: yeah, I was going to say anyway. <laughs> right. Well, we have the sum. Yeah. But look, when the feud broke out initially, yeah. and Johnny Kyo and other members of what's now called the new INLA were being hired by the Kinnehan's in order to carry out those sort of earlier hits. And they were caught fairly quickly because they were within the neighbourhood. They didn't really cover their tracks. I think they were just so anxious to make the money. But Macken was actually in jail at that time. And that was seen as one of the few mercies there were of 2016. Now, that was for uh, crucifying a man
1: yeah he basically um uh, it was intimidating uh, a businessman uh from the traveling community trying to get money off him and um, he basically crucified him as you said uh, hung him up and nailed in his his arms so really really savage crime of course jared Mackin is is had previously been convicted of 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 murder at Decision that was overturned. At that point, he was associated with different paramilitary groups in the north. But he seems to have, even they didn't seem to want anything to do with him. Mm. And he ended up in south, down here, sort of as a, I suppose, a gun for hire. I mean, we call it the new INLA, but it's, as much as anything, it's just a... it they weren't a paramilitary organisation as such. They really were a uh, gangland muscle for hire. Yeah. And um, Mackin was offering his services around the place down in Limerick to the, to, to Keen, the remnants of the Keane Colopy gang and uh, a violent, violent person.
0: Now, when he got out of jail, which I think was around maybe 2017, 2018, he was then collated along with Kalen Smith, who is. Currently serving a lengthy sentence for a plot to kill James Mago Gately.
1: Yeah, so Kaelin Smith was a, a young guy, part of the Gucci gang. Again, like like Mackin, um, he had developed this reputation for being somebody who was who was particularly violent was willing to 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 go that step further. Um and he's believed to have been the trigger man in an unsuccessful bid to kill Mago Gaitley as he he shot him uh mm. as he sat in a car. Um so Mac and we were hearing about, particularly down in Limerick, um we had some images of him out drinking with with senior members of the Keane, the Keane family. It's admissible, was- of course, I'd just like to say when you say you have images of <laughs> yeah. him, he really is, because he's a sort of a well, actually
0: Eamon Dillon, I think, describes him as a ginger beast. Yeah. He's a big guy, and he has um he has like quite striking red hair. Yeah. The bit of it he has left, because he shaves his hair, his head, and he has a quite a sort of a an unusual wrinkled almost skull. Um but
1: He's big, he's tattooed, he is scary looking. Yeah, unmissable. Um so he seems to have been living in the at one point with with Cailin Smith around the Pierce Street area. And he certainly was uh sending waves of fear through through through, through Gangland. Of course, his associates, Johnny Kyo and th- Thomas Tosse Fox, who are serving uh life sentences for the murder of Garrett Hutch. They were all associated with each other. Now those guys had grown up with the Hutches. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had known them from, from from the day they were born, they had known the Hutches. Um, but they were and and Jonathan Cole in particular had been associated with the INLA at one point. But really at this point they were they were just being paid money. Mm-hmm. And the Kinnahans at that point had had really uh, were really going for two targets, Mago and Patsy. I mean, they were the the ultimate targets that they wanted and they were throwing money at it, really. And Mm. these were the guys that they trusted to carry it out.
0: Now, around 2019, there was photographs of Macken, in Dubai and he was photographed with his partner on a yacht um, living it up uh, presumably he'd loads of sunscreen on because uh, with the ginger hair I'm sure he would have suffered severe burns but nonetheless he was out there and the information is that he went out there to meet Daniel Kinnahan. he was very thin on the ground at this point yep. with lieutenants because so many of them had been swept up in the investigation back home and he was kind of taking on anybody he gave Mackin control over one of the drug routes into Ireland, and he also gave him the money to try and kill Jerry Hutch.
1: Yeah, um, he had flown out a number of people out to Dubai. Uh, at this stage, he was not coming back to Spain. He wasn't certainly wasn't coming back to Ireland, and I think they felt safer actually flying these guys out, even just for something as simple as a conversation. Yeah. Um, all of that stuff was not being See, done those by phones
0: encrypted phones had already there'd been a load of those hacks that happened at that stage they were terribly uh, paranoid about the
1: phones so yeah they were bringing people over literally for for meetings over there they obviously felt safer and mm-hmm. in terms of surveillance they didn't and there probably wasn't much going on uh, certainly by the, the the local police forces so he he had flown them over um and it, it, you know at this point they really um they really had a lot less people on the ground of their really trusted network. People people like Sean McGovern was was mm. in Dubai now full time, wasn't going back to Ireland either and a, and a host of other guys as well.
0: Yeah, because the Imre Arrakis uh, hit, attempted hit on Mago Gately, which happened just months before Caelan Smith shot him in the garage forecourt in Dublin. But that foiled hit... Basically swept up some of the senior, the last of the senior command of of Thomas bomber Cavanagh's outfit and Daniel Kinnahan's outfit. Um,
1: yeah, you had guys like Patter Keating were picked up, uh, Douglas Glynn. Douglas Glynn was who Glyn. I was trying to think of. Yeah, so there was a series of those guys. He
0: was Kinnahan's main man uh, at that time in in Dublin. Douglas Glynn. So um, I mean, the idea that this guy is has a hundred thousand in his back pocket. And, you know, is on a promise of 900,000 if he gets the monk. I mean, this is serious. And we have the monk is, you know, hanging around Dublin, but he is
1: safe here. Well, he's, he's probably safe. I mean, I think...
0: I think he's safer here than he is anywhere else, because I don't honestly think you'd get the attention to detail in any other country jurisdiction in Spain. Anywhere else like that isn't really as engaged with the threat to him, who his enemies are. Um, he's also got his community around him who will be around him and backing him. And he has, you know, that that sort of sense, I think, of community possibly has rebuilt a bit in the North Inner City since a lot of those Kinahan hitmen were were rooted out and have been jailed. They've been exposed, those
1: that took the money from the Kinahans. Look, I mean, I don't think you could pick out uh, 10 people that are Really trusted by the Guineans left in Ireland? I just don't think so. I Mm. mean, I don't doubt there's many, many people who know them, and uh, they could probably hire some addicts and throw a bit of money at them. But, like, by all accounts, what we're seeing in recent times is that they're having to bring people in and they're having to deal with non national. Gangland criminals, for example, they're they're what drugs they are getting in. They're they're dealing with them. We had a case of a guy, being a, a Liverpool guy, coming over here to do work for them. He ended up doing eleven years in recent times. So they don't have that network, and um, it's not it's look as, as as you can see it's just not as simple to to mm-hmm.
0: but they have in the past proved that they can fly hitmen in as well as dealers so can, but if there you look is at that, but i think that in ireland and dublin it's it's a case of for the monk he knows what's around him and what should be around him and the people are, you know that's that sort of i suppose are around him in the north inner city and out outwards to clontarf where he lives probably know who should be there and who shouldn't. Yeah. And of course so he's a better chance of maybe. Yeah, he has.
1: It. I mean, I think Spain, like probably he did have a you know, where he was living in Lanzarote, he probably had some sort of network there. But there's no doubt Spain is is there's a huge amount of expat criminals and and the Spanish police traditionally don't seem to be on top of everything, to say the least.
0: But Um, when you think about it in in Lanzarote, right, you know, he avoided getting killed that New Year's Eve when he was out in the local pub. But the reason he got avoided was because he recognised the two guys from Dublin who were in the pub and who kind of, it didn't look right, they shouldn't have been there. Um, The way they were behaving was obviously a bit shifty. But if somebody had come in from Estonia or from wherever else, he wouldn't have been as astute to that.
1: No. And of course, there are these, um, like we saw, you know, a number of months ago, there was a, a an Irish guy was shot as he was fishing in Spain and it appears that somebody had paid. There was this gang of six mm. uh, hit men, basically, from the UK who were contract killers for hire floating around Spain. Um, so, obviously, those... That is a bigger risk over there than over here. So, like, you know, the, the guards, of course, as well, are just monitoring, 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 and mm. are very much on top of all, all, all the Kinnan network. So, but yeah, it's you know, the the days of, um, I think the the having that network because if you remember, Imre Arakis landed, yeah, right, and he was the sole, he was going to do this all on his own, but there was about ten people helped him one it way was. or another. Yeah, you know, even with the basics of collecting from the airport, lots of the
0: phones, and obviously the you know he talk, he talked about it on the uh, on those encrypted messages that were recorded. The dog, which was the phone, yeah. the sorry, the the gun, yeah, and he wanted a silencer, and somebody has to get that for him, and yeah. you know, give him. You can't fly into the country no. with a gun; you have to be given one here, exactly. I suppose. So yeah, no, it's 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 interesting, and then of course you have the situation, the crazy situation that has developed that. Um, the Gardaí while they're you know dismantling the Kinahan organisation investigating the Hutch organisation they've wound up because of where they live by the nature of where they live having to almost protect members of the Hutch crew that have stayed in Dublin it's crazy but I mean as somebody pointed out to me with Patsy Hutch and you know there's a car as we've spoken about sitting at the end of his road 24-7 since the 5th of February 2016 there's also a school there yeah the there primary is, school is. And, and what do you do and who is going to pull the plug on that yeah. s- security th- detail absolutely yeah. I mean if you were in control of, of the guards or whoever it yeah. is that, that pulls it is it the Department of Justice or what
1: um, no I'd say it's a, yeah. the guards or whatever guard assessment look so would you do it me? And no, well, I, but but I probably, no, I wouldn't uh, because, you know, it's particularly wary. But you're kind of goosed really, weren't you? Because yeah, you, you leave it
0: on, you're criticised, you take it off.
1: Yeah, unless he is willing to leave there. And I mean, that's one of the big main tour areas of Dublin. Mm. There's a huge amount of people in and out of that area normally anyway. Like, it's not like it's a cul-de-sac in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Mm. Um, no, I, I'd keep it on. I mean, the the state is a duty to protect the lives of people. But it's just, the more the, the situation goes on, um, there's just more sort of bizarre aspects to the whole thing, isn't there? I mean, even the GSOC oh. uh, thing, not to get into that now because we're doing something else, but every single thing... It's strange. and It's just strange. I mean, we used to have...
0: Or is it just the nature of how small our country is? And I don't know. You know it's
1: it's some, maybe it's just the level of attention that is paid to this case, and these just sort of mm-hmm. bizarre incidents keep popping up. There was always, I mean, you you remember it, Nicola? Not giving away our ages, but the gross, unprecedented... What was it? Gooboo. Gooboo. Yeah, You know, it was description of when Malcolm Carter was found in the Attorney General's house. Malcolm yeah. Carter was a serial killer and he'd been gone on the run and he was found living in the most senior legal person uh, in the States home. But there's an aspect of that now. To, there is. There's some of that where things are just kind of just a bizarre...
0: But I suppose in a way as well, the longer, I mean, we always talk about the kind of converging of the legitimate world and the criminal world and the longer... You are involved in organised crime or not, as yeah. the case may be with Jared Hutch, yeah. as he says. But I mean, he's, he is still in the Hutch organisation, have been recognised as an organised crime group by the Special Criminal Court in its judgement. The longer they are in existence, the more likely it is for everything to merge. I mean, we have a situation that there is a, a retired senior officer being investigated for giving information to them. Is that surprising? It's not really when you think about it. They're around that long.
1: They are. And not to jump on the uh you know, the 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 IRA thing and all, but I mean presumably Jerry has been dealing with the IRA since the seventies, the eighties. Yeah. And presumably he dealt with some people who went on to become politicians. respectable politicians exactly. in Sinn Fein or maybe the next government. That's not to get into the whole thing that they're you know, so Jonathan Dowdle was just mounting off and there's no connection with the provost, I would imagine, of any meaningful sense. But it's just, yeah, that's the way it goes. I mean, it's, it. it there is, it is a small country. Um, and yeah, the, the ties though, I think it's the level of attention, of mm. detail to the thing and it starts bringing all these things to light.
0: And also maybe I suppose that the more we're in tune with it and who everybody yeah. is, then we're able to kind of, piece together the pieces of the jigsaw, which is exactly what we were able to do eventually after listening to the um, meetings that went on in the north. You know, we only were privy to them during the trial that Jerry the Monk Hutch obviously was driven north by Jonathan Dowdall on a number of occasions to meet these dissidents. The point being that he was going to try and broker a peace deal with Daniel Kinahan and the dissidents were going to Basically bring Kinnahan to heel, I think is yeah. what we can say. Um, and as a result, they were going to get a present of the three yokes, which the special criminal court conceded were the AK-47s used in the Regency. So these people we were who were described throughout the trial as wee and fish, and there was another few nicknames, oh. there was a fluff, and there was this, that, and the other, and not being... Uh, as O'Fay with our northern brethren within the criminal underworld, it did take us a while to work out who yeah. was who. But well, we finally did. So, one of the three men named as Kevin Tyrone O'Neill were able to say is a dissident by the name of Kevin Murphy. Yeah. Now he was the guy that the. Hutch and Dowdall were meeting. Um, he was sort of promising them further up the chain, and there was a couple of certainly with Dowdall. There was a couple of times further up the chain didn't show up, but nonetheless, when we have his identity, Kevin Murphy, we realise or were able to realise that he is the member of the new IRA allegedly, like he, allegedly, yeah, who was allegedly most um, compromised by. And this throws another aspect into it, uh, a double agent by the name of Dennis McFadden, who was working for MI5 and who was embedded at that time in 2016 in the new IRA.
1: So I think, again, it is a bit of a bizarre twist, isn't it? (laughs) Right. So like to describe uh, uh, Dennis McFadden, so obviously people maybe down here wouldn't be as up to date in it as our listeners in the north, but Dennis McFadden was an implanted double agent. Um, He seems to have been working for MI5 for a long, long time. He was originally from Scotland. He came over here. He got involved in uh, sort of... uh, Maybe legitimate organisations looking after republican prisoners. He seems then to have gotten in with the uh, the new IRA. Um, he had plenty of money. He brought them on holidays. Brought them over to Celtic trips. Got more and more in uh, with them, and eventually was being uh, hosting some of their meetings. And every single thing he seems to have recorded for a long period of time. Um, so he was probably the most high end spy of recent
0: yeah, decades. Was, yeah, you know,
1: since, since since maybe the Oma bombing. Exactly, since the Oma
0: bombing. Mm. Um, he also settled down, lived in a normal house yeah. and was married or had a partner and a child. And like, so he, he was living, I mean, what a weird job. Yeah. What a weird way to live. I mean, what sort of a an individual is able to do that, is able to literally go with a kind of a strange backstory. He was a Scot. Yeah. And, um, you know, given a backstory, given a new identity and implanted into this organization and to be constantly secretly meeting and
1: Yeah. I mean, you're in danger every day of your life. You're in danger every day. I mean it's kind of um like it's yeah, it's look it's 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 the thing of uh, movies really, isn't yes, it? Like, it is. You know, I
0: mean, so... Um, and also, sorry, just I know from our colleague Alison Morrison in the North that this guy, McFadden, was was there for years with the new IRA and was, you know, feeding information into the intelligence services about who they were, what they were planning on doing, etc., cetera, et cetera, who they were in with, who they were out with. He um, He also when lockdown came because a lot of their meetings used to be held in pubs, he seems to have either built a pub in his garden for yeah, them and yeah. invited them over and they all came into this sort of uh, yeah. outdoor yeah, uh, Shabin Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That yeah. They, you know what I mean. If they yeah. if they can't come to the bars, you come to us. We'll make you a, a bar. Uh, Murphy, this guy we're talking about, Kevin Tyrone O'Neill, who was referred to time and again over the course of the Regency trial, he was most friendly with McFadden Now, while we don't know exactly how close they were back in twenty sixteen, we know in in years after that they holidayed three times together with their wives, all expenses paid, um, and actually the new, the alleged new IRA leader, Thomas Ash Mellon, who didn't like um, McFadden at all, is has fallen out completely with Murphy because yeah. he never really kind of engaged him and he, he believes that, I think Murphy was thick or whatever, that he fell yeah. for
1: it. And they weren't, well, they weren't too smart. Um, no, I mean, I think the Thomas Ash Mellon is based in Derry. They've kind of always been a slightly more, uh, you know, autonomous organisation to a degree. But again, like it, so this guy, we know that he's worked for MI5 for a long, long time. Did he know about stuff about the Regency? Well,
0: what advance? we do know is that, and I'm just going to come to this and, and, and uh, read it out to you, because what we did hear during the Regency trial was Detective Superintendent William Johnson said he'd authorised a tracker on the Land Cruiser on February the 16th, 2016. Yeah after Detective Superintendent Eugene Lynch received secretive, secret, sensitive intelligence that Dowdall was to travel to Northern Ireland. Yeah. So that was actually read into the courts. And yeah. we can suggest that that yeah. secret intelligence was coming from the north and was likely coming from McFadden, who was the spy within the ranks there.
1: Exactly. It certainly could have absolutely would make sense. So it's another, um, like, on whatever that secret intelligence is, no matter what court cases go on in the future, we're never going to know that. I mean, that that is the fact, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, it's never going to be made public. Um, no matter what investigation goes on into the, the how the Regency trial went, you know, in political or in guarder circles, we're never going to know. But it's just another funny, funny thing. And then it was reported in another Sunday newspaper that that there was also another informer in the camp. Whether we haven't heard that ourselves, so within the new IRA camp well within within uh, you know flat basically was, yeah. was was named so look, and then uh,
0: others have speculated that Dowdall could have been
1: an informer as well yeah and i mean I that know is that, a-
0: i know some of the paramilitary organisations in the north currently would be kind of suspecting that that, that he was uh, you know I was talking to an individual who said that from the beginning. So we we'll would just go back to this for a second okay. to say that, just to keep things simple, I suppose, that these are all Jonathan Dowdall's connections. He's bringing Hutch to meet yeah. them, and I think after the Regency, they summons yeah. Hutch to them. Yeah. Um. The his point of contact, his first point of contact was the um, the Garda killer, Pierce Macaulay. Yeah. And he denied knowing him too well but it turned out he'd visited him 14 times in prison and Macaulay had given Dowdall an introduction to a guy called Wee and we've been able to identify that Wee is Paul Bosco Bosco Macready who's a veteran Republican who was put in touch with Dowdall by Macaulay right so he was regularly referred to and I think on the second time they went up to the north um, Dowdall and Hutch were brought to a roadside in Strabane, um, yeah. where they got out of the car and they met three men who they later described as the three Queen Bees. And we've been able to establish through the judgment that one of the Queen Bees was him, the the actual new IRA leader, Thomas Ash Mellon himself. Now, Dowdall described him, him, one of his many faux pas on the tips. He described him as brain dead, which I'm sure he...
1: It's <laughs> not a ringing endorsement coming from... <laughs> so he
0: was one of them on the roadside the second one the third one we haven't uh, identified mm. Kevin Murphy of course was the, the second Yeah. so they're significant characters that were there in the middle of it now Ash Mellon apparently while he was described as brain dead by Dowdall he didn't like Dowdall back yeah. he reckoned Dowdall was a drug dealer that yeah. he, was, he was flashy yeah. he was mouthy yeah. and he was
1: asking too many questions yeah and this this is what the suspicion that's coming from the dissident camps about Jonathan Dowdle. And you can understand why. Because if you listen to the tapes, uh, which we both did in court, Jonathan Dowdle keeps asking these kind of leading questions about, yeah. you know, I read that in the papers. Did you do that, Jerry?
0: Yeah.
1: Or, you know, that happened there. What do you think of that? Who do you think did that, Jerry? Like at least it could be just the way he is. Just be, could be the way it is. But if you listen to it in a, with a certain conspiratorial mind, it sounds like Jonathan Dowdle is trying to get Jerry to make some admission on tape. And that's, that's what's led to this belief that yeah. not that Jonathan Dowdle was already compromised and may have already been, you know.
0: Now, if you, if you were to take that and, and say that, yeah. okay, he was compromised at that yeah. stage, he knew there was a bug in his yeah. car and he was hoping to entrap yeah. Jerry. Yeah. Which? Why then is he? Does he end up being charged with murder, and exactly. his house been raided? So that doesn't really make. it
1: Doesn't really make sense. But you can see why that can exactly. It doesn't make sense. I mean, mm. and certainly if you, if you. I
0: mean, unless you believed that this massive pretense was put up by, yeah, everybody within the yeah. the criminal the crime and security division in order to make it look as if he wasn't, or yeah. ugh, then you start and, getting.
1: And a but you see the the reason that these things come out, of course. It, um, it, particularly in the north of Ireland, from these paramilitary organisations, they're always on the hunt for touts and this dirty mm. war because they went through that for many, many years. I mean, how did the the British Secret Service or Secret Services operated in the north? I mean, they did fight a bloody war and get up to all types of things. And we have seen that inquiry after inquiry where they did know murders were going to go ahead. They chose not to intervene in order to yeah. not to blow sources. So that's the conspiratorial Look, I don't think I don't of course think...
0: they, they worked with these paramilitary organizations because of course in the middle of it and yeah. we were we had named Willie Gallagher as the man called yeah. Fluff. We were in court when um the it was it was described how he had offered to kill the burn parents. Yeah. And um this was during a conversation between Dowdall and Hutch in the car. Um and we were able to identify him as Willie Gallagher, Willie Gallagher has given us a statement saying he absolutely has never met either of them and he never um, offered to kill the Byrne parents, which actually makes more sense than the fact that he did, if you know what I mean. Yeah,
1: and I think... Why would he offer to kill those? I don't know, and I think, look, I think... um there is reason to believe what he's saying is true. But of course... I think
0: in this case, there certainly is. And I have to say, like, you know, I do know that there is this sort of investigation going on within the paramilitaries up there as to was Gallagher named in order to have him killed. Yeah. So like in our world down here we would think that's crazy, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, as I say, if you're living in the North and you've had the police colluding with terrorists, and they did,
1: killed. They had all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, mm. there's absolutely no doubt it. And you can see that with the death of Freddie Scappatici, not to go into that, but an IRA guy uh, who was in charge of eternal discipline. And it was riddled with informers and incredibly mm. bad practice. And These things did go on. Um, so it's, we're
0: naive, really, down here in a little, uh, blue, yeah, you know, possibly. forest of bluebells. Yeah, because you know, like there's plenty of stories up in the north that you, you hear, and you kind of have a tendency to go throw your eyes up to yeah. them. But actually,
1: there is a murky, a really, really murky, dirty war went on. Yeah. Um, on all sides, of course, but a really, really incredible stuff went on. And then
0: when you start of... opening your mind to it, you get really paranoid yourself and you <laughs> yeah. kind of start second guessing everything yeah. and yeah. nothing seems as it is.
1: No. Nothing seems clear. And of course, some of the the facts that the normal, uh, in normal procedures, in if you go through a murder trial, every evident, piece of evidence can be tested and heard. But when there's the operation of the... Aspects of a guard guarded, they'll never be. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they can always just claim privilege, say that's, that that would reveal sources, and we don't hear what goes on in the background.
0: No. Did you notice that during the trial, Dowdall refused to name Thomas Ashmelan?
1: Yeah, he did. Repeatedly he, refused. And he made a point of exonerating Sinn Féin. As yeah. Well, which I think was probably... So
0: was it just damage, damage limitation on his behalf? Because really when, when he then went he also
1: like bizarrely tried to sort of suck up to the Kinnahans as well and yeah. sort of say they were the victims. Was he, yeah. As in that that the Hutches had started it. But well,
0: he didn't suck up to Daniel Kinnahan because he told us that Daniel Kinnahan had uh, reneged on his word and shot Pam Patrick Hutch through the bone as opposed to the flesh wound he was due to give him.
1: But he did sort of make a point that it was all started by Patsy's sons. Yeah, he, he did, I suppose. And he did also make a point of apologising for some of the stuff to the Byrne family, you know. Um,
0: but he, so what do you think he was just trying to, you know... I think he's trying to be a good guy. Not, a for, good guy for uh, as many uh, people yeah, as possible. Yeah, yeah, He was trying to limit his enemies. A PR campaign. Yeah. We shouldn't really be laughing no. at it, but he is um, possibly due out quicker than expected. I mean, listen, I know we we, we have a story and we, we will be following up on Dowdall's release, particularly his father, Patrick Dowdall, but I can tell you we're not going to get information on that because no. they're witness protection now. Yeah. And it would actually nearly be, it would also be illegal for us, by the way, to yeah. try and find out where they were or anything like that, Um, which is understandable, but... They, I imagine, are going to be released from the prison secretly. There's going to be no proper official dates no, given.
1: No, I don't. I don't look. I'd imagine that'll be the last we'll ever hear of them. Yeah. And um, and in the judgment, you know, the judges, Justice Tara Burns, did say if there's somebody who can make a good go of a new life, it is Jonathan Dowdle. Yeah. That he is a businessman and he has the capacity as trade. I don't think we'll. He, I don't think he will be like some of the other people who went into witness protection and became fishes out of water, okay. couldn't really cope away from, you know, Dublin and from their home lives. I don't think Jonathan Daddle will be seeing them again. But it's and he has <clears> to keep his mouth shut. Have to keep his
0: badge. <laughs> yeah, yeah That
1: I would find.
0: Uh, yeah, well, look will be his most will be his most would, problematic. Would you, do you don't you and know, he's look? also in bad health, Jonathan Dowdall. I mean, that isn't a honker about that he was talking about when he went into the witness. I mean, it all sort of slightly got, yeah, you know, covered up with the rest of the thing that was going on. But he was talking about having serious. Uh, spinal issues yeah, yeah, and he was on medication if you remember when he came in initially to the courtroom he actually asked the judge sort of for help that yeah. he wasn't getting his medication and yeah. um, in the prison and that he had sp- get spasms in his legs and while I maybe joked a bit about him constantly having to go to the bathroom maybe he did, you know what I mean yeah. he's definitely in bad health for a young man um, which is going to be something that will be difficult maybe for him to to do a physical yeah. job like um, an like, electrician. electrician. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, we will probably never hear from him again. Or oh. do they have to hold him in case? Will they ever, they can't ever put him into the witness box again? Well,
1: Should I don't we? think so. I mean, I think that the, the that judgment will hang over him. Mm. Um, so if he went back to the witness box... Whatever about what he says, factually or not factually, as soon as he's been cross-examined, that's the opening point. I mean, these are findings of fact in the judgment that he lied repeatedly, that he was unreliable, that he was self-serving. And, you know, the state, I don't think, would just could justify... M- Bringing him back to, to 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 give that type of evidence, and whoever would go on trial on his evidence would be rubbing their hands with glee. Um, it is that the state are going to have to find another route, I think, if they pursue other prosecutions mm. than Jonathan Daddel.
0: And finally, I suppose, do we think there's a fallout within the paramilitary organisations by the evidence that came out? during the trial. I mean, we do know certainly that there's an investigation going on behind the scenes as regards who may have leaked uh, or why Willie mm. Gallagher's name back in 2016, mm. who might have said that he was, you know, looking to take out the burns. I mean, there's probably other stuff there that... uh we're just totally unaware of. That means a lot to people in certain par- paramilitary organisations, and or maybe not so much to us. But what will the fallout be? Are they just constantly all rowing and falling out and getting friendly? And you know,
1: yeah. I mean, look. I think you you see to a degree how really what the this trial shows possibly how toothless they are. Really, mm. the remnants of those paramilitary organisations certainly capable of, as we saw recently. a, a PSNI officer shot, capable of violence. But even even in that shooting, uh, rather than being carried out solely by the neo-IRA, they had to rely on criminals, uh, non-aligned criminals for weapons and various other bits of information. Mm. So they are not what they were. I mean, this is not the provisional IRA, like a, a relatively disciplined army. Mm-hmm. These people are really uh, big fishes in the small ponds of their own community where they do cause terror and harm. But I think if if you see them in comparison to a trans transnational gang as the Kinnehan's were, they're just not on the same level. Mm. They just took it took something else for them to realize that. yeah
0: okay, now Donald, thank you very much. Thanks, Nicolette.